everybody back to another exciting rollicking edition of the wrestling wars podcast we are back with our esteemed guest peter crawford ready to go over the next episode of awesome ancient history and fighting and things like that i'll have to come up with a much better tagline um we left off with the persian forces just arriving into uh, the Greek mainland, taking over a few uh, outer outer rim um, kingdoms, and now we are at the actual events of the film 300, the battle the battle of Thermopylae, and the film 300: Rising of Empire, um, the concurrent battle of Artemisium, um, and moving on through the rest of the uh, the uh, conclusive battles that happened after that. I uh, welcome once again my esteemed guest, Peter Crawford. Thank you again for joining us and schooling us up on this stuff, sir. Good afternoon. Yes, glad to have you, glad to have you. Um, so, we're ready to go. The Persians are rolling through. We established in the last episode that they are actually a fairly, uh, I don't want to say benevolent because they are conquering people, but, uh, you know, as good as you're going to get as far as a, as a conquering force. 
Um, They're not an orc army from the Lord of the Rings. They are not that. <laughs> so uh, they are just coming in. Um, they sent emissaries, asked Sparta and Athens, all we need is just some earth and water from you guys, and everything will be cool. And Sparta was like, no, <laughs> you could come get the earth and water for yourself, bud. And so they need to somehow raise an offensive against this gigantic army. So that was pretty much, um, they knew they had, Spartans had, the advantage of the, uh, the hot gates, the pass of Thermopylae, which was a, basically a, a, a mountain pass that the Persians were going to have to pass through um, to get where they were trying to go. So they went and took 300 of their baddest dudes, shoved them in that little pass and said, well, if you're going to if you're going to come through here, you're going to have to go through the hard way. So um, tell us a little bit about the lead up to that, the, the decision making there. Um, I mean, I think it, it's pretty fairly straightforward and, and also a pretty uh, fantastical uh, situation. Yeah, uh, the uh, there was there was a suggestion of another uh, area first, uh, a place called the Pass of Tempe, and a bit further north in uh, uh, in Greece, for uh, so they basically haven't got as far south. Uh, they suggested that this could be a place where the the Greeks could make their stand, uh, but I think the King of Macedon quickly pointed out that there's a lot of open ground in, the, in northern Greece that the, the Persians yeah, could that have, would be could have just marched north. past. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was a, they they chose the the hot gates uh, at the Thermopylae um, basically because there wasn't any way past the Persians would have to go through this uh, this narrow this narrow stretch if they were uh, to reach uh, Athens, which was essentially their sort of main target in the book. Well, because Athens um, city-wise was was pretty much the crown jewel of uh, of the the Greek world at that time, correct? Yeah, it's, it's certainly the biggest uh, out of the lot, but it also it's it's the one that uh, the Persians hadn't got the revenge on yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, before the Battle of uh, Marathon, uh, Eritrea had been raised to the ground for its uh, fighting in the, uh, in the in the in the Ionian Revolt. Yeah. Uh, but Athens hadn't been. I'm not even sure. I wouldn't. I don't quote me on this one, but I'm not even sure Athens was given the chance to surrender. I think it was maybe. Perfect for you, motherfucker. Yeah, or the, as Booker T it, it, would put it a different way. Um, and so, yeah, okay, so I see. So Sparta was, was offered that branch that, hey, you can let us pass through and uh, swear fealty, and we're going to be on the way to kick the shit. And that also uh, furthermore speaks to how much these people believed in their own freedom and their own way of doing things, that, you know, uh, Persia offered them a chance to see Persia come through and uh, destroy a longtime rival and burn them to the ground. And even... Um, instead of that, they would rather go out there and fight them themselves than uh, than than allow that to happen to, than to well, watch their enemy burn. Particularly the Spartans, uh, this was just this was the the ultimate attack, opportunity to uh, get the great death uh, for some of them. Oh, they yeah, yeah. Didn't but again. You don't really know with the Spartans being so insular. They maybe didn't quite know what they were dealing with until maybe maybe not until Leonidas was standing. And at the wall at the at Thermopylae, and realized, ah, this is quite a big army. This is ten times bigger than probably any army Greece had ever seen at the time. Uh, maybe not, uh, maybe not quite as uh, sort of uh, prepared. Athens knew what was coming, uh, and a lot of the other Greeks knew that they were coming because some of them tried to change sides as well. So, okay. uh, sort which, of a big part of were uh, 
uh, were those? Uh, the Thebans in particular. Uh, okay. the, the Thebes tried to, uh, they, they were, they're accused of what they, the sources call Medizing, which is basically turning to the Persians and uh, as we see actually at Thermopylae, it's one of the reasons why there are Thebans at the last battle at Thermopylae. Uh, they're actually kept there. They're not allowed to go home because oh, wow. they're saying that, uh, that they're, as soon as they would be allowed to go home, they actually would change sides. Uh, it's they they were expected that the that the Thebans would change sides. There's a lot of others who sort of change sides in inverted commas, but literally they literally no choice. I, I do recall reading that now that there was a lot of um uncredited, and I guess that that provides some of the reason why they may have gone uncredited was uh that the only reason they were kept there is because they was they were afraid that they might yeah. change sides. Is um that there were uh what was it a thousand maybe Thebans that were there. Um, when when the final day came, yeah, that, I think there's a thousand Phocians, I know that, uh, yeah, and there's yeah. about eight hundred to a thousand uh, Thespians, which is a rather good name, uh, just lay <laughs> actor. Uh, and I think there's there's maybe only four or five hundred Thebans, uh, but they just they couldn't let them go home because they thought as soon as they went home they yeah. would take their entire city onto the Persian side. Basically, by the end of the situation, when it would it had become clear that uh that uh the the Spartans were going to get what they wanted, basically. Um, they pretty much sent everybody else on their way. and um, the, yeah, That's that's one of those things that sort of, with the, the sort of romanticism of it all, is conveniently forgotten, that there's, uh, there's a lot more than 300. Yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, uh, technically, yeah, there was 300 Spartans, and they did the, the majority of the heavy lifting, but there was a ton of, there was a, quite a few other Greek uh, factions that were there as well. Up to about 8,000, I think, of an army. Uh, there's Athenians there, there's... Uh, uh, basically, every other small state had given their their contingent of a five six hundred men. Uh, say there was a thousand Phocians guarding guarding the mountains. Uh, I mean, they were that's a big contingent compared to the rest. They clearly did a shitty fucking job. We'll get into that in a second. Well, <laughs> they're not they're not the ones I I don't I don't think it's the kind of guys you could ever sort of uh, uh, complain about them not fighting against twenty thousand men yeah, coming over yeah. hills. Uh, Especially when you're in the open in, the, in, a, in a mountain pass, I don't think you're uh, you can really complain about them not holding off the immortals for yeah. uh, during yeah. a night attack. Um, so the Persians show up. There's a metric fuck ton of them. There are not that many Spartans holding. Now go ahead and go into some of the the fantastical um, aspects of of what happened there. Well, let's say they, uh, they, by the time the, the, if we say the Persians have crossed into Europe with about two hundred thousand men, uh, they've been leaving garrisons as they go. Uh, they haven't just walked through and uh, got submission from Thracians and Thessalians and uh, Macedonians and just left them to it. They've actually left sp spotted garrisons along the way. Uh, I would imagine there was a garrison at the Hellespont as well to protect the uh, the bridge of boats. Uh, so the suggestion is that by by the time they rock up to Thermopylae, there's probably about 120,000 of them, uh, which is still colossal. Yeah. Uh, especially when, I mean, that's more than the Greeks could ever hope to bring together. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's uh, even if all the Greek states brought together, and as, and as we'll see when we get to Plataea, we see really what the real sort of uh, height of what the Greeks could uh, could bring together as an army uh, really was. Um, can't really think what the Persians would have, the Persians would have just thought this is a, a cakewalk. There's a very small Greek army in the way. Uh, sure, they're behind a wall in some narrows uh, between the sea and uh, between the sea and a mountain at Thermopylae. Uh, they probably just re even thought that their uh, that the sheer sight of their army, which would just been say truly, mm -hmm. truly awe-inspiring to a lot of Greeks, would have been enough. 
Uh, and this is where you sort of get in the sources that Leonidas has done does a lot of work in uh, keeping the men together. Uh, he only got, he's only got 300 Spartans. Uh, I think it might actually have dropped by two. I think there's two Spartans who don't uh, don't die at uh, Thermopylae. Uh, but they, uh, they they do seem to have done needed to do a lot of work in making sure that this uh, that this actually was kept uh, kept together for as long enough. Anyway, uh, I'm not completely sure what the the long term goal of a lot of this was. Uh, it, it, you talk about getting our uh, it's all about sort of getting the Spartans time to mobilize their troops for a bigger battle. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, in in time for the city state to kind of get yeah. their shit together and get a plan going. But to say, could they really have? ever hoped that what was happening uh, yeah, yeah, true, true. would have happened at Thermopylae. I mean, it's it's one of those things you're, you're sort of uh, relying on a miracle of some sort. It's that kind of very strange, yeah. it seems like a very strange, and it's a perfect place to set up a defensive position, but um, it does seem like a very strange sort of uh, plan to uh, sort of rely on this kind of, if they were even at all, relying on essentially what is a bit of a military miracle that, uh, mm-hmm. that they managed to hold them off for so long. Um, while the the two armies are coming together at the in uh, in that Thermopylae, there's also uh, Cape Artemisium is where the the Persian fleet, which again is colossal in size, I think they talk about 800 ships or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is coming down around from. And uh, that's Hel- where we're going to go next. Is uh, they actually had a um, a fleet led by a pretty badass individual himself, Themistocles, um, which. Which, which, and they knew that the the, the, the Persian navy was going to try and go around the pass and uh, and t- come up on the flank, uh, so to speak, in a geographical sense, uh, on the Spartans, and that's where I, where Artemisium come in, where they stayed, and they protected the flank of the Spartans to fairly great loss uh, on the Greek side. Um, and when the Battle of Thermopylae had ended, that's when uh, Themistocles and and the crew, so to speak, decided, hey. Um, okay, we can go ahead and pull back and try to figure something else out now because it's that's happened. But uh, they they really actually the real impo- the real importance of Artemisium as a battle isn't really in the casualties that either side are uh, uh, are faced, but it's actually it's one of these things that shows the Greeks that much like with Marathon and Thermopylae, it shows the Greeks that their navies are as strong, if not stronger, than the Persians. Again, it shows them that the Persians have been Relying almost solely on uh, open field uh, yeah. strength of numbers, strength of numbers, and say you get into Cape Artemisium is again. It would, if it had worked, Artemisium would have been a great victory. Would have been the victory that Salamis was because yeah. they could they stuck the, the a lot of the Persians in together uh, and basically turn it into a land battle. And, and say uh, Rome are uh, Athenian ships and Greek ships in general are ruled by rowers, obviously who are sort of very low down the spectrum. But they all—they all have uh, much like the Romans would do. They've got marines on each of them, uh, and, and so the marines basically are. Basically, what happened with Artemisium is they got them all kind of closed in, and so you got guys, you know, as we imagine, um, um, like a Pirates of the Caribbean type situation where guys are jumping onto the other boats and busting yeah. people's shit. Yeah, just just a lot more than two ships. It's yeah, <laughs> two hundred so, ships just yeah. all jumping together. And they become just a massive big. Uh, essentially, it becomes a land battle on the sea, yeah. and that's what the Greeks are, and that's what Themistocles is. He's uh, he's really the man who saves Greece. I mean, they, they, everybody talks about Leonidas and then Pisanias, the Spartan kings who win the land battles. But really, it's it's Themistocles's ability to recognize where the chat, where the positives are, and what mm-hmm. the Greeks can do on sea to, to stop 
basically everything else happening, saying turn it into a land battle. Uh, and of course, then he manipulates the hell out of everybody by the time he gets yeah, to absolutely. Uh, um, but Artemisium, it's 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 a drawn battle if anything. Uh, the fact that the Persians choose to then uh, take off, as I think it's about two hundred of their ships, and send them round to try and uh, uh, block the, the the Athenian or the the Greek uh, retreat, suggests maybe that the Persians again hadn't really had as much. Uh, of a positive result at Artemisium than they what they would have wanted, uh, and I say Themistocles, as you say, uh, Themistocles only really uh, orders the retreat from. Uh, I don't think he's even the commander. I think there's a part. I think there's even a Spartan commander of the army, which is basically a figurehead. Yeah. Uh, he's probably never seen the sea half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they then decide that once Leonidas is dead and the the three hundred Spartans and their allies have been uh, the pass at Thermopylae has been forced. That then there's there's nothing actually to defend. Uh, there's nothing. I mean, we could they just end. They say they just end up eventually uh, being defeated, uh, and then say it leaves it on to uh, a bit further. So I mean, Artemisium is important for say more for what it proves rather than what actually happened in the battle. I think yep. it's uh, uh, as you say, maybe it, the fact that the Greek fleet was there at all to stop any any attempted uh, pincer movement at uh, at Thermopylae is is a positive, but. Uh, Still can't really see the Spartans uh, having much trouble with, uh, with whatever was going to come off those ships because those ships are going to be full of very light armed men. That just maybe just made more yeah, Persian the, for the United States. Say just from two directions this time instead of instead of just the one. Um, but really, say they. I mean, it, you talk about the stylized depiction of three hundred. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly. I mean, it is stylized and it brings in all these monsters, but. It is it did, from the sources it comes across just as that kind of real, proper, slaughtering session. Uh, there's just two or three days in a row where, no matter how many men the uh, the Persians throw into the gap uh, against the the Spartan held wall, it just I mean it's just just a hedge of uh, of spears are just uh, cutting all of these men down. And uh, as soon as they as soon as their spears are broken, they switch to their short swords and kill even more. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just 10, 20,000 probably in the course of four or five days, and it's just truly epic. And they might have, uh, you can't imagine what the place looked like. I think, did they, did they not rebuild another part of the wall with dead bodies? With dead well, bodies, yes. Oh, let, uh, let's go there, let's go there. Now, we've given the, the credit to Themistocles and, and, and those guys for, for providing an example that, hey, um, our abilities, it's yeah. basically a, a bit of a, a bit of a rocky moment where they bleed. Like, we... we this is not impossible. We can we can hold our own. But let's go ahead. Let's go back and, and give the situation, the awe-inspiring, fantastical situation. Um, let's give it this, the description here in Thermopylae. Um, like you said, it's one of those things that's from history that's so fantastical that it doesn't even need. I mean, I read, and I'm not 100% sure because I don't have the actual blow-by-blow stats in front of me, but um, I have read that the statistics at the end of the first day of battle of these guys holding this pass, these 300 guys holding this pass against the against the Persians um, is somewhere in the middle, around the neighborhood of uh, and this is going to sound fucking ridiculous but this is this is um this is for real uh 
it was about 5,000 or 6,000 dead for the Persians and uh, two uh, two for the Spartans. Yeah, that that it's it, it's it's probably a wee bit exaggerated, but it, 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 not by very much. Uh, I mean, the, the Spartans might have lost say ten or twenty, maybe ten or twenty, but we're still talking Persian dead per day in the thousands. I mean, it's just completely and utterly, it's just totally insane. But it just again, it shows you how uh, that the Persians had no idea what they were up against. Uh, it's just, I mean, you're just sending. They were just literally sending men into a fire pit. I mean, it was just uh, these guys were just there. It wasn't the sort of pushing back and forward of a hoplite army or even the uh, uh, even sort of weight of numbers that the Persians were used to uh, used to fight. They're sending what are essentially light armed troops against a against 300 <laughs> insane killers uh, backed by another couple or another few thousand uh, heavy hoplites. I mean, we're talking. It, it actually couldn't get much worse as a, in terms of a uh, as a military plan. I mean, you're as a the worst sort of you, could, you couldn't pick any almost anyone from history that uh, couldn't actually have gone any worse in a defensive position. Narrowed out your weight of numbers mean nothing, uh, and guys are just standing there, uh, just repeatedly stabbing and uh, and start stabbing and stabbing and stabbing. Them like ribbons. This yeah, is, in the same day. <laughs> so they kill all these guys. The same day, he sends in his elite shock troops, the Immortals, yeah. which in the movie looks like, you know, a couple of groups of ninjas. It was 10,000 dudes. It yeah. Was, the, the Immortals themselves, just by themselves, was 10,000 dudes. And even yeah. they it's, got fucking killed. And the body, they're, they're, the, they're the bodyguard of the uh, of the Persian king. Um, funny thing is, though, when you talk about the Immortals, uh, it's sort of... what. You wonder why have they got that name? Why are they called the Immortals? Uh, the idea is, oh, maybe because they're the best fighters and nobody ever dies. Actually, it's not. It's because uh, they're called the Immortals because there's always ten thousand of them. Yep, there's always because 10, they always promote always somebody to replace the ones. Yeah, that they just you promote killed. somebody to replace the dead. So actually, by the time Thermopylae is over, how many of the original ten thousand <laughs> Immortals are actually still there? They've been proven anything but immortal by. Uh, there's probably been six or seven thousand of them killed. Uh, but I mean, it's it, the problem with the well, not problem, but the say the thing about trying to trying to sort of make a big thing out of uh, the battle for Mobley as a spectacle is that it's three or four days of the same thing happening. I mean, it's the total insanity of the Persian uh, military plan where they just, if at first you don't succeed, try try again. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the Persians are just you're sending th another ten thousand men into battle and only four thousand of them are coming back, uh, and and they're probably coming back with. Brutal injuries, stab wounds to legs, and probably a lot of them bleeding out. Or I mean, it just—I mean, that's that's what the Spartans go for after after their spears are broken. It's just uh, completely completely insane. And I say this is where we see, I say just the what the, the Persians had never fought against anything like this, never fought against anybody who was going to stand their ground. Uh, and this idea that uh, they were fighting against men who were uh, honourable and cher or not cherished death, but looked forward to a good death. Uh, I mean, that's just not something that the, the Persians really uh, had any sort of understanding of. And see, it's, it's sort of borne out by the sources that quite frequently when when Darius first hears about the uh, the Athenians going to help uh, going to help the Ionians, he has to be told who the Athenians are. Uh, and then he comes up with this idea of, I need to be reminded who these Athenians are. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with the Spartans. Uh, he's, the, the Spartans say that they're not going to 
uh, but they're not going to uh, submit to him, and he basically has to say, well, who are the Spartans? Uh, and they, clearly they the idea of uh, sort of the, the lack of uh, intelligence gathering about uh, yeah. who these yeah. guys are has completely has, has, has I, I, maybe was never there. Uh, just we we had no need. We've got a hundred. We've got two hundred thousand men. That's more than enough to defeat anybody. Uh, and it turns out that uh, it was not. Uh, it just just completely and utterly brutal. Um, so there's so many ways you can say that these men were quite literally mown down. Uh, just. Uh, they ran and I did, they, the Spartans were hiding behind a wall, but uh, I mean these guys were just break, it's just like a tide was breaking against this wall for I think it's three days. Yeah, well we're we're about to cover the, the, by the end of the first day, three separate times the bodies of the Persians piled up so high that Xerxes had to stand from his throne yeah, to be able he to could see, see what was happening. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah, again, it's this kind of thing you sort of think, oh, that can't possibly be real, but it entirely could have. You think of the, yeah, you think of the numbers, yeah. And so the second day, Xerxes, um, his, his logic follows that, okay, well, surely there's so, there's so few of them. They all must have, you know, suffered wounds. They're not going to be able to fight against us for another day. He sends his guys in, splash against the wall. And the same fucking thing happened. The yeah. Spartans, again, are just wrecking his entire army. His entire... All this effort. All of the crazy... You know, the, 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 the boats across the Hellas Point. All these crazy things he had to do to get this giant army here. And we're going to take over. And they are just being fucking destroyed by 300 people in the middle of a fucking mountain pass. Yeah, uh, it just again, it's, it just it, it does beggar belief, and it is one of those where, again, as we said before, it's one of these times where uh, the actual historical story just doesn't seem like it could have been real, uh, and it, it it just it just was, it just just completely and utterly, uh, say just you can't even it's hard very hard, I mean you yourself obviously have been in battle, but I mean, could you even think about say? Six thousand men dying in an afternoon, just with yeah. a complete, with essentially a suicidal charge, and over and over again, and say, and, and all this damage being done by uh, a Spartan-tipped army of maybe only four or five thousand by this stage. I mean, it, it's just utterly. It's it, it's very hard to comprehend uh, just how uh, how I mean the, the, the kill ratio for some of these guys. It must have been must have been off the charts. Uh, and that's, just, that's where you get the famous quote, which is what I've read is a true quote that when an emissary was sent to try and call off things and say, hey, Xerxes is really cool. He's still going to yeah. allow you a chance. All you got to do is kneel. Leonidas looked that fucker right in the face and said, well, I would, but my legs are so tired from killing all of your friends all day. So yeah. fuck out my face. And he had to go back. One of my favorite things that I've read about this thing is by the end of the second day, uh, Xerxes withdrew his forces, and the Persian account has that he withdrew to his camp totally perplexed. That is the word that they use for it. That he was just at a fucking loss. These guys are not normal human beings. Like, what is happening? What manner of men are they? And then the unfortunate thing happens. Uh, the individual's name was uh, Ephialtes. Uh, I might not be saying that right because obviously... Oh, that's, that's, that's good. Ephialtes is a traitor 
and is actually still the Greek word for nightmare to this, to this day is yeah. that is the Greek word for nightmare um, informed Xerxes of a mountain pass that would allow uh, Xerxes to flank the, uh, the, the Spartans and so they um, went ahead and used it um, now this eventually they had to move forces into place and uh, so over this time uh, the Spartans were able to um, become aware of it and become aware of the fact that they would uh, be be encircled um, uh, so Leonidas calls a council of war at dawn and um, tries to figure out you know what we're gonna do most of the Greek contingents argued for withdrawal which Leonidas allowed them um, but he said he was resolved that he and his Spartans were going to stay and hold that pass. Um, 700 Thespians, as you mentioned, refused to leave with the other Greeks and committed themselves to fight. And the 400 Thebians, which, because they were little fuckers, um, also had to stay and fight. So, uh, after that, um, they stay, they decide to stay, and, uh, they're gonna get ready to go, and the, uh, the scouts for Persia saw them and they're like, what are they doing? Because during this time, they, they know they're encircled and the Persians know that they know that they're encircled. And the Spartans are down there um, exercising and bathing. And they're like, what are they doing? And singing songs. And get this, it is because they were preparing themselves to meet the gods. Um, and were completely cool with it. Come on down. Come on down, let's fucking have a blast. Um, so, it's around this time where we get the uh, the, the great little story about uh, sort of where the sort of the sort of scales are falling from the Persian eyes about who they're dealing with. Uh, sorry, I think it's around this time Xerxes starts to interrogate some local Greeks about uh, uh, why are there so few Greeks uh, fighting at Thermopylae? Because he was assuming this was the this was the battle for. Uh, for the entire peninsula and all this, and this is going to be the big epic battle. Uh, and some, he was told that uh, the Olympic Games were taking place at the time, and uh, and he said, I mean, he's obviously flabbergasted that these basically a, a competition would take up uh, would take men away from what was a fight for the future. And he said, what was the uh, what's the prize for the Olympic Games? Uh, and they repeated that it's an olive wreath, uh, just an olive wreath and uh, the glory. And this is where the apparently the Persian commanders were uh, beside themselves, and uh, supposedly one of them talks about, uh, "Oh dear, Mardonius, who was the commander at Marathon, uh, what have you brought us into? Uh, these men fight for glory, not for money." And this is sort of the the real sort of, "Dear God, what are we going to do here?" Yeah. Uh, and this is this is the sort of real sort of awakening that the Persians have gone. These these men, these are not the Greeks in general, not just the Spartans, but the Greeks in general are. A totally different kettle of fish than anything else. Yeah, uh, they're not a big, they're not a sort of a slave state to, uh, to one king or anything like that. They're not going to run away. They've got, they have their own gods that they are going to uh, honor by dying well. And uh, I say there's no, there's no better than that, that, that than the Spartans, and that's exactly what they do. At, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin States. would say they were double tough and did not give a flying fuck. Yeah, exactly. They were they were going to sell their lives as highly as possible. They, uh, down in history, uh, and that's 
I don't think you could really argue that if, if anybody has gone down in history, apart from maybe Alexander the Great, that nobody's gone down in history more than those 300 Spartans. Yeah. Uh, it's just, see, uh, just ridiculous. See, I, I, don't, I, have, I would even hesitate to call it bravery because it's brave would be doing something out of the ordinary. Uh, this is what these men did. <laughs> this yeah, is what yeah, just. Yeah. That's what, um, it's funny because I in my reading, you know, there's a, there's arguments over whether it was it, it can be called bravery in the context that we talk about it today. Because for them, that's just like one of us going down to fucking Dunkin' Donuts or something. Like it's yeah. just this is just what we do. Job. It's it's like me sitting writing a book. It's my it's what my job is. These guys these guys killed people. And <laughs> and got killed. Yeah. Got killed at the end of it. It's uh, it's that kind of. Uh, just it's just something that's very difficult to sort of uh, sort of think about in a modern context and say you're dying in this way, but say you're willing to take as many people as you can with you, uh, and then say this is what happens in this last day when they're surrounded by uh, I think it's the, the immortals go up into the hills and uh, defeat the Phocians who are guarding the mountain pass, uh, and they're coming down behind the Greeks. Um, Leonidas sends away all the allies, uh, apart from as you say the Thespians and the Thebans, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, get, I mean, not only he's now surrounded; they're now surrounded by what is an army still of probably a hundred thousand. And what does he do? He goes on the attack. Goes <laughs> that, I mean, on this the is, attack. This is the. It, it doesn't just stay in this wall and wait for the end. They got three hundred, say thirteen hundred men, probably only a thousand, because they think like, the Thebans will have uh, will have done anything uh, anything positive like that. But these men go on the attack. A thousand yeah. men. Just to hurl themselves into the fire. Yeah, uh, we're not. Uh, we're basically they were waiting. Essentially, what were they? I think they were worried that what was going to happen is they would be surrounded and then just picked off by arrows, which is essentially so what happened. That ain't no way to go that, to go out. So we're just going to go and attack. And I, again, it's the, it's the, it's the, again, it's the sort of the, the, you can you can argue about the psychological impact of that. All so these guys are. Well, say if, if, say if they I'm sure they, they, they would have got back to the Persians that. Uh, there were only 300 Spartans at Thermopylae, and there's 10,000 more where that that's, came. That's what I was about to say. What, what what happens when you're on the other side, and you and you figure out, we have to go fight a whole city of these people, a whole fucking civilization of these people. Like, that's... This got to the point here at the end, and this is part of the historical uh, account of the situation, that um, when their swords broke, they mm-hmm. were fighting with their hands and teeth. Yeah. They were punching and biting people to the fucking end, even after they broke their swords, killing Persians. Just insane. I think, I don't know if I'm getting this from somewhere else, but is, isn't there a scene in 300 where they or, they, that Xerxes orders the, orders the arrows fired, and there's no men who are still in the middle of it, and essentially they're doing anything they can to, yeah. uh, to kill off the rest of the Spartans, and... They're willing to take more casualties to get rid of them. They're just, it's just, it's become that desperate. Uh, I always remember actually the, the one that sort of sticks in the thing that sticks in my mind about the the final offensive at Thermopylae is actually the original movie, the Three Hundred Spartans, where they just have them, they have them all in the circle going out and uh, from behind the wall uh, the, from I think it's the fifties or sixties, the Three Hundred Spartans. Uh, that sort of sticks in my mind is this, and they do kill them all with arrows, uh, and it's just. Um, I mean, just, uh, just I would say a remarkable piece of uh, of military history is just, I say, men who are willing to die. And I say it's, it's the kind of thing you see with, like, it's with a very militaristic culture. Your favorite with the Vikings, it's the same kind of guys. They're just, 
have no problem dying because dying gets them to Valhalla and yeah. it's the same kind of thing now even we see with uh, say uh, Muslim suicide bombers that gets them to heaven it's the and their sort of in their culture or their skewing of their culture it's, it's just this kind of idea it's very hard to fight against what do you do against, against somebody like that and finally the Persians figure out all you have to do is get into uh, arrow range and just blot out the sun with your arrows Say it took them twenty thousand men to figure yeah, that out. Well, that's what we're gonna get to next. The final numbers, um, obviously aren't aren't exact, but we're talking here uh, about twenty five hundred to three thousand lost for the Greeks and over twenty thousand killed on the Persian side. So yeah. we're talking ten times the amount of casualties for one side. Just yeah. fucking unreal. Yeah. Um. And furthermore, to show that this was a very spectacularly different situation, um, like we said earlier, the Persians were very, uh, were generally respectful of the of the cultures when they came through, and definitely respectful of um, heroic efforts mm-hmm. from the other side. Well, this was not the case. Xerxes was so pissed when he finally found Leonidas's body that he chopped his head off and crucified the body because. Um, and that's in the middle of the battle. The battle's still going. Mm-hmm. He was so fucking disgusted and pissed off by the whole situation yep. that uh, he, he he had to do something crazy. You know, he just it made him lose his mind and not act uh, normally. Yeah, uh, so even, and even in, this, in the midst of that, this this all happens when they, their Spartans are still fighting. Yeah. And uh, the Spartans actually go on the offensive again and reclaim the body of... Uh, yeah, they fought over it, it back and forth for a while. Yeah. It's only and they only actually really give up control of the of the body of their king uh, when they're all dead. Yeah. Uh, maybe not all. We'll get to when we get to Plataea. We'll look at it in a bit more detail. But the fact that there's actually there are two Spartans survive uh, mm-hmm. the Battle of Thermopylae and it's uh, sort of a, a great uh, great blot on their character for not for not dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, um, hell, you didn't die. There was yeah. There was there was there's some accounts of saying that the, the last Spartan fucking got killed reaching out trying to grab grab onto Leonidas's body, like, things, crazy things like that. Uh, and to say, because of the way that things have gone, it's it's not something you can ever sort of go, well, that definitely didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. The rest of it's being so bloody sensational that uh, we really can't, it's the kind of thing you can't uh, sort of rule out. It's just been, uh, it's just been, it's just, ins- just complete insanity. The kind of thing you couldn't write. You would write that absolutely and go, ah, not. yeah, yeah. That would never happen. So, here, from moving on uh, from, from, this greatness we crazy enough the tide begins to turn a little bit after this in a 480 when we have the battle of Salamis um, which was a naval engagement and which was actually um, uh, uh, strategically somewhat similar to the, the the theories and ideas that made Thermopylae so well successful for a small amount of time um, basically um an engagement occurred in it with the, the the large navy of Persia, and the Greeks were able to tempt them, basically to chase them into a strait, which enclosed their numbers, and so it made their their navy get all jammed up and all on top of each other. And then the Greeks were able to rush back out of a bay and jump them and wreck their shit again. So go go ahead and and, and fill in the gaps for us on this one. It's a this is this is where sort of uh, the Greeks take the Greeks and particularly Themistocles himself uh, take advantage of Greek politics and what people knew about Greek politics as we were mentioning before 
uh, they all hated each other. <laughs> sort of, yeah. that's how it all is. And this is one of the few times where it actually works to their advantage. Um, everybody retreats from Thermopylae, um, and it comes to, uh, basically then they're trying to choose where's our next big stand going to be. Uh, all of the Spartans and the Corinthians and uh, a lot of other Greeks uh, wanted it to be at the Isthmus of Corinth, which is a very narrow stretch of land between northern and southern Greece. And again, the kind of thing, same kind of thing that happened at Thermopylae, a very narrow, very narrow piece of land, build a wall across it, and uh, basically use the Spartan army to uh, to blunt the, uh, the Persian advance. Uh, this, of course, would mean that you had to uh, abandon Athens uh, and other places as well, uh, Phocis and uh, uh, Megara and large large settlements that were, were going to be sort of left to uh, for, the, for the Persians to do what they liked. Um, and they did, didn't they? I mean, they yes. ended up they ended up achieving their goal of, yeah, of they, uh, raising Pers- Athens. The Pers- essentially, they, they, uh, I mean, to tell you what, there must have been another another epic uh, uh, undertaking. Uh, almost the entire city of Athens is, is evacuated. Uh, mm-hmm. They send them all to the name of the battle that comes up is Salamis, and that's because it's the name of the island uh, off the Greek coast where the straits are. But the, the, the entire uh, the entire uh, uh, population of Athens is taken to Salamis and Aegina, another island off the coast. Uh, these are uh, obviously des- desperate times. Uh, in the middle of this, we get the uh, the sort of uh, always useful uh, or well, ambiguous, shall we say, uh, uh, Delphic Oracle. Uh, they, go to, they go to Delphi to find out basically what's going to happen, what should we do, uh, and the Delphic Oracle tells them that the Greeks will only be successful by relying on the wooden wall. Uh, and there's a there's a case of hardcore Athenians who think it's the wooden wall around their Acropolis, which is their sort of main citadel in the city. Yeah, and that didn't uh, work out they, so great for them, did it? Uh, they didn't do too badly. I mean, they. Yeah. they Probably quite helped. Probably, probably helped a wee bit of just dis- for distracting the Persians. But uh, uh, say so they they hold themselves up in the city. But it's actually Themistocles himself uh, decides that it's the wooden wall is the is the, the navy. navy. Yeah, uh, is the is the Athenian navy and, and sort of with the with the Corinthian and uh, sort of uh, some Spartan allies thrown in as well. Um, but really, he's now using the idea that he has to try and he has to get the. Uh, the Persians to commit to a per place to fight uh, yep. like Thermopylae like Artemisium, they need to get them into a certain place where they, they can then uh, spring a trap and uh, sort of make sure that the Persian numbers uh, don't uh, don't work as well um, and he does it by uh, going to the Persians and saying essentially that and I, I think he even says it to the Greeks as well that if the Persians don't uh, if the Persians attack in the Straits of Salamis, Athens will defect. Uh, the oh, wow. say the the Athenian navy is mostly, or sorry, the uh, sorry the Athenian navy is the biggest uh, contingent of the Greek navy, and without it, they wouldn't have a chance. Uh, so this this letter he sends to Xerxes, I think it goes might even go through the character of Artemisia of Carath. I think that's where they're sort of linked between her and Themistocles is sort of linked, and I know they got a bit more, a bit a lot more chat in, in Rise of the Empire, but yeah. this idea that uh, that Basically, the Mysticles is harnessing Greek infighting and using it to his advantage. Yeah. Now, the real cynic in you will say maybe he would have defected if, because uh, he was he was actually using this threat of a defection to get the Greeks to fight at Salamis, yeah. not yeah. to get the Greeks to fight as well. And if the Greeks hadn't fought, if the Corinthians hadn't gone out to fight, uh, and other the rest of 
would he actually have defected? And that's the big sort of, uh, the cynic in you will suggest that maybe maybe he had no problem uh, think, uh, thinking like that to sort of save the, the people on Salamis and Aegina. Um, but uh, but, they, but Xerxes falls for it. Uh, and, and they lays them them. into the straits and sends, get sends, huge... Yeah, sends yeah. The, the Greek fleet goes into the straits of uh, Salamis. And actually, even better for the Greeks... Uh, I think the all what you would call almost the best part of this of the Persian Navy, the, the Phoenicians, uh, from the land of Canaan, from their for your Bible studiers, mm-hmm. uh, actually goes round goes to goes to flank, actually sails round all of Salamis and uh, and Aegina, trying to get to the back of the Greek fleet. Uh, but that just means there are even fewer uh, Persian galleys, and the, so a lot of the best ones are missing. Uh, and these are very narrow straits, a lot of very hidden bays. The fact that you get there, some of the bays are so hidden that the entire Greek fleet is essentially hidden. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of these bays uh, tells you that it, uh, how well Themistocles had picked his uh, had picked his site, uh, and the entire thing was very effective. Yeah, and for and while Xerxes sat on the coast on his big throne, uh, watching the battle uh, uh, take place, uh, he quickly realizes that he's made a colossal error. Uh, the Greeks aren't looking. The Athenians weren't going to defect at all, uh, and so the whole thing becomes so crushed together that uh, it essentially turns into a land battle on the sea. And the Persian or the the Athenian and Greek uh, uh, soldiers on the ships prove uh, far too far too strong again for uh, for the Athenian for the Persian fleet. Um, it's not a complete it's not a complete destruction, but essentially because there are already two hundred ships uh, sent off in another direction, uh, but Really, without these, with this great defeat uh, at Salamis, uh, the Persians couldn't attack the Peloponnese, so they couldn't actually. It says that they lost two thousand ships, and at this point, Xerxes was afraid that they were going to destroy the bridge that he had built over the uh, over the uh, the Hellespont. So he and a large contingency of the army went back and left, and left um, hand-selected troops in the hand of hands of one of his generals, and. that uh, so this was the beginning of the turning point, and Xerxes decided that he didn't he didn't want to didn't want to be around anymore for yes. any more of these shenanigans. And so it's worth noting again. Say the uh, this, I think I'm sure it's probably in Rise of an Empire. Uh, there's the story of Artemisia of Cari, uh, or Cari as she uh, uh, sort of, as Xerxes says his men have become women and his women men when she did a lot of fighting in the yeah. in the midst of the battle. Um, I think she even there's even suggestion that she even sank. One of our own allies to get away. Yeah, yeah. That kind of real sort of uh, survive at all costs. Uh, there is sort of a, quite a nice sort of uh, summing up of why the Persians actually agree for Xerxes to go home. Uh, is that it's one of these things that he's putting himself in harm's way. Yeah. In this, in the middle of this battle, so uh, essentially all this, I think, I think it's even Artemisia herself uh, basically says, uh, "You might as well go home." Because any victory that is won is still going to be won on your terms. It's still going to be your victory as king. Uh, but any defeat is not only going to put you in danger. Uh, it's also not going to be your your defeat if you're not here. You yeah. can just pass it off on your commander. Sure uh, thing. <laughs> I know how that feels. Um. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a that's a very Roman thing as well. The yeah. Romans are quite happy to uh, t- any Roman emperor takes all the bl- takes all the plaudits and none of the blame. Yeah. Uh, um. It's the. Uh, that's the, the beauty of it all. The beauty of command. Following uh, this, there was not a lot of beauty. There was a pretty shitty day for the Persians coming up as the Battle of Plataea and the Battle of... My, okay, 
how do you, how is this pronounced? Macaulay, I would say. Macaulay? Macaulay, I would say. Macaulay, yeah. There was a land battle at Patea and a naval battle at Macaulay. Um, not too long after this, um, the Battle of Patea is a pretty pretty interesting uh, story in and of itself. So let's go. Let's go ahead. Give us give us the, the what's going on there. Well, as you say, the the tide has turned. Uh, the Greeks now are, particularly the Corinthians and the Spartans are now willing to actually go on the offensive. Uh, they've seen that uh, Thermopylae and Salamis that actually they've we can beat these guys in a battle. These guys are no, there might be a lot of them, but it just means there's more of them to kill. This is, yeah, that's basically, this is basically the point where like, hey, we can fucking, we can do this. We can beat these guys. Let's yeah, go. Mobilize, we mobilize everything. We'll be fine. Uh, and this is, this is what is, this is finally what happens. I think it's, I think the Salamis is in 480, but uh, it's, it's, it's the following summer is uh, the Battle of Plataea. Yes. And, uh, well, because it's, it, as people might not realize, but back in the day, back, back in the day, back in ancient history, um, and a lot of it, winter time you don't really no not a whole lot of battling going on you kind of camp up and get ready you see you see yeah uh, it's some of the few times where actually it's seen as a big strategic risk but also potentially for a lot of uh, a lot of bonuses if you fight in the winter yeah yeah if you're in a certain parts of the parts of uh, certain parts of the world in the middle east and uh, when you don't have a bad winter essentially i mean mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, where you live, you have bad winters. I, I don't yeah. know, we don't have bad winters here in Northern Ireland. We just have rain. Uh, that's kind of uh, it, it was, it's quite difficult to sort of understand. Sometimes there's the odd time where, say, a winter campaign, and this was a massive risk in some of these places because they're quite high up, so there's going to be a lot of snow. And if you get caught in snow, yeah, just just ask Anas Baratheon what happens when yeah, you get caught. Right, you got to resort to some pretty crazy things if you caught yeah, with uh, snow. It's, so it's, the next summer the greeks had uh what's what's crazy is is they had pretty much this is pretty much everything that they got as far as um who they who yeah. who they have together um yeah. and the it, only it, thing that's missing is the is the large part of the fleet which is this is campaign they're still pretty much outnumbered by about a hundred thousand at this at this battle yeah, flat and, this is this is where the uh, sort of more modern academic suggestion is actually has uh, uh, if you were going to pick if you're going to say people on the field uh, the Greeks actually might have more uh, it's one of those where it depends on what you what you count as a fighter and what yeah, you count yeah. as a camp hanger on uh, what did the what did the what did the Greek hangers on do compared to the Persians uh, the suggestion the way I always suggest is that the the Persian forces probably about eighty thousand at the most, uh, maybe 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 even less. Uh, the Greeks they talk about, depending again how you read it, they talk about thirty-eight thousand, which is say half. Yeah. Uh, but that thirty-eight thousand is only hoplites. Uh, that's the so essentially you've got an army of thirty-eight thousand heavy inter- infantry, yeah. the heaviest of heavy infantry. The heaviest of heavy, yeah. And they and the and then that does that doesn't include any cavalry they have. It doesn't include the fact that uh, for every essentially for every every hoplite that was meant he was meant to have at least one attendant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and and some of those attendants would then fight as light infantry. Yeah. That uh, you can you can nearly double the thirty-eight thousand to see how many men were actually there. Uh, and on top of that, even well, say this is where it really gets fantastic. Every Spartan was every Spartan uh, hoplite was supposed to have seven attendants. Yeah. So actually, you can you're supposedly supposed to if that was if that was actually followed, which would be impossible, and there actually would be seventy thousand Spartans at the Battle of. Yeah. 
which is which is mental. It's, it's not true at all. It's 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 more likely they had only had one. They couldn't have fed them all to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but there are. But the thing that I think the most important part of it all is there are thirty-eight thousand heavy infantry, uh, heavy infantry, heavy Greek infantry, spearheaded by ten thousand Spartans, uh, led by their their new, newest king Pausanias, uh, and this is. Uh, I mean, think about what 300 Spartans had done at Plataea, or yeah. done at Popoli. Uh, this is 10,000. Uh, 10,000. And basically, uh, it was one of those situations where, um, I guess the Persians, well, they did see a retreat. They thought they saw a retreat. They yeah. came rushing in, and when they came rushing in, they kind of got themselves surrounded because they weren't even fighting the real guys. <laughs> it it's, wasn't it's, even the real guys who were retreating. The Spartans it's, 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 hadn't even jumped it's, it's, in it's, yet. Like, when they, they, I think when they they sort of square up to each other, there's a, there's the river. I think it's the river Eurotas. I think is in the middle of it. Uh, the Persians have a camp. The Greeks are sort of in the foothills of uh, the mountains that are around there. The Athenians are on the left. Uh, the Spartans and their allies are on the right. And uh, there's actually been now the Thebans have fully defected. They're fully fighting defected, the yep. Persians oh, on the Persian uh, side. They're on the Persian right, opposite the Athenians. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of back and forth about that. It's uh, because at the height of summer you need to have water uh, and the spring behind the uh, the the the, uh, the Greek lines, um, but the Persians actually manage with their cavalry. They, they up until up until sort of the the real engagement, uh, the Persians had the better of Plataea. Uh, they sort of had figured out they actually Mardonius, who's the commander left and left in charge of the Persian army, he actually had figured it out. Uh, we sort of wait, allow these allow the Greeks essentially to fall apart. Uh, a lot of heavy infantry. It's very hard to stand in this in the, yep. the baking sun all day. Uh, set use our cavalry, which is to say, what what Xerxes hadn't really figured. Out. That's the great Persian, uh, great Persian is, art yep. is cavalry, uh, and they sort of use their cavalry to harass the Greeks uh, on all sides. And actually, one of them uh, manages to get through and slaughters a calf uh, <laughs> in the uh, into the spring, and actually destroys the spring. the spring. Oh boy. Poisons the spring, so they're, they're, they're now Greeks have no uh, no fresh water, uh, and they, they say the Persians have a river. Uh, they have the river Eurotas to to uh, to uh, water themselves. So right up until then, it's one of these. It's one of the things we were talking about before. Uh, leaving your enemy with a chance to get away. Yeah. Uh, really, what happened? What eventually what happens is the Greeks realize we're really not in a very good position here. It's too hot. We've no water, uh, and they start to retreat. Well, some of them do. I think the Athenians go. For, the Athenians that they left starts to sort of retreat up the hill into the uh, into the foothills, or a bit further into the foothills. Uh, the Spartans, unsurprisingly, take a lot of convincing by their king uh, yeah. that this, they should do if they because they could if they do they get surrounded and and killed. And now the sort of idea that now they actually might win the war. So they need to be a little more strategic than brave. Yep. Win the war rather than just yeah. kill it, rather than get themselves killed. Um, and they all start to retreat. They very slowly start to retreat up the hill. And there's this suggestion that a, there's a Spartan unit uh, commander won't retreat uh, because he's a Spartan, uh, and therefore he's, his army, his unit takes a lot of the brunt of the damage when the Persians come. Uh, although the suggestion is just leading the rear guard rather than refusing an order. Yeah. Uh, but now the Greeks, they, the Persians see the Greeks are retreating. Uh, they're retreating uphill, which isn't the best thing. The Persians think that the whole army is retreating, and essentially, if they attack, uh, it will collapse. Uh, really, what Mardonius should have done is let them retreat. Uh, yeah. the, the more they retreat, they actually the Greeks are more likely to to fracture and fall apart. Uh, but by for, by attacking, he leaves the Greeks with only one option, 
Uh, yep, you got to stand and fight. Yep. The fight. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it doesn't actually work for him. He, yep. uh, the Persians, they actually attack the, they actually, the, the Thebans attack the, the Athenians, uh, and that's something of a draw, the stalemate. Um, but the, the heavy hammer blow of the, uh, of the Persian army lands on uh, first the Tegeans, actually a very small uh, state that's quite near Sparta, uh, and had sort of taken some of the Spartan military training to heart. It's actually the Tegeans who are the first ones to fight uh, on the on the on the Greek right, uh, basically because they don't need to take religious religious sacraments before uh, before yeah, fighting. Oh, they can just go for it. Yeah, Pausanias had to think. Oh, we need good we need good omens. There's forty thousand Persians coming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, still need to, we still need to fight. The, the goats need to tell us what's happening. And uh, but they say essentially what happens is the Tegeans go first. Uh, the Persian or the Spartans are waiting for religious benefits but actually are probably somewhat shamed with the fact that they haven't gone first yeah uh, they charge i say to you you've now got ten thousand angry spartans charging down the hill coming down uh, the hill after you've already had your big rush your big hammer fall and then the Tegians and the athenians make a, a decent accounting of themselves yeah. so you're already tired you think you're fighting the real guys but you're not even fighting the real guys here come ten thousand of the real guys down the hill and you're screwed yeah, <laughs> so yeah basically just, the spartans got the run in the hot tag and got to t- yeah, take care of yeah. business. Yeah, just to uh, just to bring the, just to put the, the final pinfall. Uh, it's, it's, it's the Spartans are just it's it's it's, it's, it's just showing again what the hoplites could do to everything uh, as to the light Persian infantry. Uh, they seemed that the the Persians. I don't think the Persians did quite as badly as the sort of sources seem to suggest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem in the middle of it all is uh, Mardonius has his uh, Nelson, his Admiral Nelson moment. Uh, he's marching about on a big white horse at the back of uh, at the back of uh, the, uh, the the battle, and uh, I think it's a Spartan a Spartan soldier sees him uh, and sees the big white horse and kills him. Uh, and once Mardonius is dead, uh, it sort of reveals one of some of the problems with uh, that kind of totalitarian state. The state is that once the uh, once the sort of big commander is dead, the rest of the army starts to fall apart. Uh, and that's essentially what happens. To say once Mardonius is dead, uh, Persian resistance crumbles, uh, and the Spartans sort of just rush, rush through to the Rhodes River and cross the river and uh, attack the Persian camp. Uh, while at the same time, to their to their eternal credit, the uh, the Athenians have beaten the Thebans as well. Uh, it wasn't just wasn't just a Spartan victory. This was uh, this yeah, was the a. The Athenians definitely pitched in big, and they're going to pitch in big in the the next battle we're going to talk about as well. Um, as word of Plataea spread, um, they said, "Hey, let's let's go get the rest of these fuckers." And so they rolled out into the, the battle of uh, Mycali, um, where they basically chased down the rest of the Persian fleet, which had um, anchored off the shore of Asia Minor, right across right across the uh, the sea there. Um, and the the navy went and found them, along with the uh, you know ma- mostly a, a marine uh, contingency, a marine force they found them found their camp they rushed the camp and they burned and killed fucking everybody burned all the ships killed all the people yeah it's it's it's, it's a sort of a joint battle like it's a joint i think there's i think there is a sort of uh, a military uh i think there's a military battle as well as a naval one but uh the, the, the sources try to say it's in the same day as platea but yeah. that's true but that's not really it's possible not... because my well, allies across the fucking ocean across the sea it could have been possible. I mean, the Greek navy is not at Plataea. Plataea is inland. Uh, 
not all of the Athenians are at Plataea. There's only 8,000 of them. And remember, there was 9,000 Athenians at, uh, at, uh, at Marathon. So uh, it, I would imagine it's, it's certainly not in the same day, but uh, it's probably not that long afterwards. I'd say Macaulay is probably more linked to the aftermath of Salamis than it is to okay. uh, the actual battle at Plataea. I think there are two sense. things that are happening sort of separately. Yeah. This is the rest of the Greek Navy go after uh, go after the remnant of the Persian navy, sort of independently of what the uh, what the main army did. And as soon as they find out they don't, they have no need for them. Uh, I mean, the the Persians have sent a lot of their navy home, so they don't need to control the waters anymore. Um, but as I say, it's sort of as a, a tag on to uh, Plataea. It's kind of a nice uh, thing to have as the uh, again showing again that 300 is not uh, not completely and historically inaccurate at any stretch of imagination. Uh, it uses uh, the storyteller, the narrator, as yeah. a yeah. Uh, is uh, supposedly the uh, the great the, the Spartan who survived Thermopylae and fought at Plataea. Um, they changed the names about, and I think there's I think they actually conflate two Spartans. The two there's two Spartans who, who survive uh, Thermopylae, both of whom I think had eye infections, uh, which is what you see in yeah. 300. Your man's got the the eye patch on. Uh, I don't think there's any hint that he needs to go home to tell people what happened. I don't think that's mentioned in in the sources. I think that's sort of a made up by uh, yeah, the, by, the, by the film. Uh, which is it would be it's one of those things. If you, if if uh, Leonidas knew what was about to happen, he might have done that uh, yeah. sort of way to tell the real story of what was about to happen. Uh, but uh, there's two men go home. Uh, I think one of them one of them didn't fight in the final battle because he had been sent as an embassy. Uh, mm. Northern Greeks. Another one didn't fight because he had an eye infection and had to be, and basically couldn't fight. Uh, I think they suggest there's one of them. I can't remember which one is which. There's Aristodemus and uh, uh, Pantates, I think his name is. Okay. Uh, one of them, they, I think they both. Uh, one of them, I think it's Pantates, hangs himself out of shame uh, for not fighting in yeah. the final battle, even if it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Aristodemus is. He goes on the embassy, and then goes home. And gets slated as a coward, even though they all know that he was ordered by Leonidas to go and do something Crazy. else. Uh, he gets called a coward, and he's the one then that's at in the front, the front rank at uh, Plataea and charges charges the Persian charges the Persians by himself. Uh, and the the Spartans all talk about how he had uh, he had redeemed his honor by fighting like that. But then they didn't they don't give him any anything extra special for what he did. Yeah. Just that you're, you're back. You're back. Uh, you know. Not only did he fight, they, 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 they sort of because he had rushed the Persians by himself and killed a whole load of them before he killed himself. They said, "Well, he's redeemed himself. He now can be treated like a Spartan again." Yeah. But he doesn't get any special honors above that. Yeah. Because he charged out of battle, charged out of order. He didn't fight in formation, so he didn't actually fight as a Spartan on the last day. So they don't give him anything special after that. He's only allowed to basically reclaim his name rather than. Uh, sort of, he fight, fight, but essentially because he fights out of formation, he's not allowed to get anything special. He's not not sort of uh, raised up like Leonidas, Leonidas or Pausanias uh, or any of the other individuals. He's basically you're, you're allowed to be treated like a Spartan again, not uh, uh, not anything more because uh, so you didn't fight in formation. So right. after they whoop ass at Plataea and Mycale goes down, this then um, 
turns turns the tide into where there's a bunch of uh in the in the the kind of half Greek half Persian areas, um, Iona once again, uh, Cyprus, Byzantium, all these places they start getting all these big rebellions and getting a bunch of support from the Greeks and they end up pushing back, pushing back, pushing back, and this um, ends up keeping Persia. Well, I won't can't say forever because a long time later uh, they oh, there's other engagements. But as far as the timeline of what we were talking about with the 300 films, this, th that, after Mycali and Plataea, um, with all the rebellions that were popping up with the half Greek, half Persian kind of, kind of bumper zones, um, that, that's pretty much the end of our timeline and the pushing of the Persians back to where the fuck they came from. Um, <laughs> if, uh, so if we're going to, if we're going to do a, a, a third film, knowing which, what I would have told you about what's in the second, I guess. We're probably gonna uh, pretty much uh, it's pretty much gonna be a love fest, a slaughter fest. We're gonna depict uh, Mycali and uh, and Plataea. That's pretty much all they got left after that yeah. to tell the story. Um, they might they might go. There's there's another battle further on. Uh, I think it's another fifty. Is it three six five maybe? But further on, uh, where they actually free the Ionian Greeks. Uh, the Battle of Eurymedon uh, is. Is where actually it's a bit good bit further now. It's in southern what would be southern Turkey, opposite Cyprus, uh, where they actually defeat the Persians in what is essentially Persian territory, right. uh, and that frees the Ionian Greeks. I mean that's another fifteen years down the line. That's not just uh, it doesn't just sort of happen because they win at Macalai and Plataea. Yeah. Uh, Plataea and Macalai is actually the uh, it's the it's the savior of Greece rather than the savior of uh, of Greeks because there are plenty of Greeks all over the place. So you're still under the Persian thumb, um, which is, well, say, say that's where it all starts to uh, sort of mold into something different. Persia's still there, and Persia's uh, using all its money to uh, uh, to influence everything, and uh, essentially the Persians become a sort of power broker between Athens and Sparta, which is really what the, uh, which is really what uh, sort of the aftermath and the fallout of the Persian invasion really is is it's essentially it's back to back to basics again. It's uh, Athens versus Sparta for uh, the next century. Yeah, uh, on and off the uh, the Delian Wars, um, Wars the Delian League. Um, so what we can we can well one last uh, shall we shall we tell everybody what ends up becoming of Xerxes? He ran back. He tucked his tail. He didn't want to be a part of things anymore. Slash, they didn't want him to be there for the loss. Well, guess what? He ends up getting killed by his own bodyguards for being a fucker. Basically, I I I, I think is 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 it, he's legendary for having a very bad temper. Uh, that's that's what happens with Leonidas. Uh, sure. I think it's, he's probably killed a lot of his uh, household through. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, not you know <laughs> having having a little temper, throwing fits, not treating yeah. people very well. No, Xerxes, the god king, quote unquote ends up getting killed by his own bodyguards a little while down the road. Um, like we said, to put across the importance of, of what a turning point this whole deal was in history, how unlikely the situation was that they were not only able to, to band together to defeat uh, the Persian forces, but to, even when they did band together, they were still outnumbered, you know, fucking three to one, and still ended up pulling it off. Um and gave us uh, all the all the Western concepts that we have today. Um, probably would not have made it out of Greece had 
Persia won, and so that's uh, something for us for us all for us all to to observe. Yeah, it's uh, and there's so many things that can sort of come out of that. But you think of even the uh, so we talk about democracy, but it's this it's just the sheer sort of uh, the Athenian period after uh, the Persian Wars is probably where we see all the sort of uh, literature is born. Uh, yep. All the great playwrights, and it's all these plays that are still being shown today, what two thousand four hundred years later, and they're all they're all sort of written in the four sixties, four fifties, four forties onto. Uh, into so onto the those sort of that period after, and say uh, Herodotus writes his history in the four thirties. Uh, this is sort of this is kind of without all of this, without this great victory of the uh, uh, of the of the Greeks in general. Um, yeah, again, you have to sort of flag up that the Persians were not the great boogeyman that. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. They were just a. But, another group but the, the things but it really could have been a sort of major roadblock in the way of uh, what becomes western civilization yes. it could be sort of a it's not quite a, it, could, I mean, it could have held back for centuries what, uh, what actually we get um, the spreading of say how important the spreading of Greek culture is to uh, well everything uh, I mean it's not just we're not just talking Romans without the, without the Greeks there are no Romans uh Without the Greeks, there are no modern Jews. Uh, yeah. There, Hellenism is very strong in uh, in Jerusalem. Um, without, there's no sort of. I mean, the Greeks end up with, with with the great Alexander. I mean, the Greeks end up in. I was just uh, about to say, uh, and then the Persian Empire would keep on rocking and rolling until a certain Greek came along uh, a while after this, and that's probably where we'll pick up our next uh, our next piece of podcasting is. Uh, what happens next, kind of in the in the large events of historical timeline? Um, yeah, it's for that whole. I mean, from about that 150 years from, say, Marathon to the death of Alexander the Great is just uh, it really is epic, and it's and as, as a story, as the kind of thing again you couldn't sort of uh, if you wrote it, it would sort of ah, it's a bit far fetched. That yeah. I mean, we've got we've now got after after Michalai and Plataea. We've got 50 years of internal strife. I mean, more than 50 years. Exactly uh, the rest of this fourth century BC is Athens against Sparta. Athens becoming a uh, not quite a superpower, but certainly a regional empire, mm-hmm. uh, fighting against the Spartans, uh, going to fight in Sicily of all places, yeah. uh, dealing with uh, sort of the Greek stuff that's going on in the in the western in the western Mediterranean. Uh, the Spartans themselves think about going to fight the going to taking the fight to the Persians, uh, and there's a whole bollocks with their king Pausanias who goes insane. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a Jusileus, the 80, 90 year old king who fights all over the place as well. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, uh, I mean, there's Xenophon and the and the, the Greek the, the ten thousand that actually march into the middle of Persia, and show Philip the second and Alexander that uh, it could be done. There's I mean. And then the, the the rise of the rise of the Macedonian Empire and everything that that ends up bringing to the Persian this, Empire. This completely overlooked in that period is uh, the the, the uh, overshadowing of Sparta Sparta by a completely un sort of heralded third party. It's not the Macedonians. It's not the it's not the Athenians. It's not the Persians. It's the Thebans that uh, mm. defeat the Spartans. And the Battle of Leuctra is one of those ones where you sort of go. Why didn't anybody ever try that before? It was like yeah. sort of so bloody simple that they, they beat the beat the, the Spartans end up and 
uh, end up defeated by say th- by Thebans of all people. Uh, and this again, you get another couple of the truly epic Spartan quotes uh, about certain things. I say it's 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 one of it's ones where uh, uh, if you make war on me, I will make you my slaves. Mm-hmm. And the Spartan reply is, if. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, uh, if I fight, if I if I invade your territory, I will. Uh, if I defeat you in this war, uh, I will make my make slaves of you. And the reply is, if. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it was recently voted one of the best quotes of all time, uh, and that's the. But of course, the, 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 if it had been said by Leonidas, it would be even better because that was Sparta at their height. This is said by the Spartans mm-hmm. in about the three forties or three fifties when actually uh, it was a bit of a joke. That's uh, that sort of. I think it was. I think it's supposedly Philip II, but it might actually be the Theban commander as well. I think he so says. So then, because I never really understood, because um, I, I had a tough time finding this. Because uh, we're moving way into the future with this question, but so by the time the Greco-Roman uh, conflicts ended up happening, Sparta really wasn't a thing anymore. Um, there's a very brief period of time. Uh, it's it's about the 240s, which is sort of around that time. I think it's it's late second, late third century. Uh, where essentially the Spartan system has fallen apart, uh, and the only the reason they fall apart is actually there's too few of them. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the classic problem of a closed society. Yeah, uh, they're very sort of a very very uh, uh, protective of their bloodlines, uh, and because it's a very closed society, eventually that bloodline starts to wear out. Yeah, and say by the time there's uh, when we talk about with the three hundred at uh, Thermopylae and the ten thousand at. Uh, uh, okay. at we were talking at the height. There might only have been ever thirteen thousand proper Spartans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they've always been a. Uh, by they're paying the ass to play as in total war. <laughs> yeah, by uh, by the time of Lutron, which is three seven one, we're not, we're not only a hundred years after Plataea. Uh, there's ten. There's seemingly only about thirteen hundred of them. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. the entire Spartan, Spartan, the main sort of elite Spartans. There's there's so few of them now because they've been so poor there because they're a close society and then that's essentially it uh, that's 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 why they fall apart they're only only able to raise armies of hundreds mm-hmm. against the likes of uh, Philip II and Alexander III and uh, all the rest of them um, and it's there's a man called there's a book coming out I, I was, I'm sure you'll be really interested in it it's about uh, I think he's, I think it's called The Last Spartan it's all about Cleomanes III uh, he, re- he reinstigates the uh, the whole Gogi system and does a very it gets comes comes quite close to actually uh, restarting all of Sparta as this great power again. Also, essentially, while he's doing it, uh, people are scared of them again. Mm. Uh, it doesn't last very long, but it's, it's it's around the time where Rome's starting to appear on the scene, and yeah, the, the, the uh, people government. are actually scared of the Spartans in battle again because Cleomanes has been able to uh, to do it. But I mean, there's no great Spartan defeat by anybody. It just they just they sort just of, sort of bleed out, yeah, sort of go away. At that stage, um, and uh, that'll be that'll be cool to talk about because I'm really interested. Uh, it's I've ha- I have kind of a tough time finding um finding literature on uh the Greco-Roman um yeah, conflicts because yeah, it seems like it was pretty open and shut. Like the Romans kind of came and yeah, uh, and by, got by the time, with them, and they're like, you know what, we're gonna take you over, and that's just it. Just happened. I mean, it was it's it's sort of just a sort of the fate accompli of it all is sort of. You literally have no chance against us uh, at that stage. There's, there's, there's actually not that. There's some. I'm trying to say, I have, I have one book on what you would call. It's called the, we call the Hellenistic period, which is after sort of classical Greece down to where the Romans came. There's not that many sort of 
particularly accessible books uh, about that period, which is really quite a shame because some of it's completely insane. And it's just uh, the amount of kingdoms that are fighting against each other. And this is where we've got the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and... Oh, yeah. Uh, and, that part, the... Um, what are they called? Uh, the Diadochi. That, yeah, that, that whole successors. fucking thing is... Oh, that's one, just... Fucking very scant on, on details, oddly. Yeah. Um, and fucking crazy because... Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get into that by the end of the next episode. We still got some some Greek high times and a very famous, maybe the most famous individual in the history of Earth coming up next. He's a Greek. He's a Macedonian, and he brings the fight to Persia on their own land, and uh, it's their beyond. ultimate downfall. And so, beyond. <laughs> yeah, and quite a bit beyond. So that'll be good times. Um, hope everybody had the the, the events of this these films uh, summed up for them, and they. Uh, can can appreciate the depth of how badass it was, and I thank you again so much, sir, for uh, providing us with your expertise. Not a problem. Um, so we will we will do this again sometime in the near future, and we will move on in our timeline. I want to thank everyone again for listening. Um, be on the lookout for my guest book, The War of the Three Gods. Um, it is on Amazon and all high-end bookstores all over um and he'll be having his next release in september as well so be on the lookout for that uh thanks everybody for listening uh we'll be back sooner than later no.